So according to the apostles, the offspring of Abraham ultimately is Jesus Christ. All the blessings have been earned and claimed by him. That's why Peter says at the end of his sermon, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. If you want to be blessed, if you want to share in the times of refreshing and the full future restoration of the kingdom of God, then you need to be in right relationship with the offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the principle and person of blessing, renewal, and life. He is the prophet like Moses and the seed of Abraham. Thanks be to God. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. As the seed and offspring of Abraham, Jesus is the source of blessing, renewal, and life. And in Acts 3, we catch a preview of that in the healing of the man who was lame from birth. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Acts chapter 3. One of the challenges associated with reading the Bible the way we often do, which is to read it in chunks and bits, a chapter here and a chapter there, is that we miss the essential narrative quality of these stories. We we miss the connections and the wider context. Chapter 3 isn't a whole new story. It flows very naturally out of what happened at the end of chapter 2. In chapter 2, we were told that the early Christians were very committed to the prayers, which almost certainly means the hours of prayer at the temple. Well, here's a story about something that happened on one of those times when they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. We were also told that many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. Here we have an extended telling of one of those signs and wonders. So, This story is an expansion of what we've just heard. It is a specific example illustrating the general nature and flavor and power of the early church. Now, at some point, we're going to have to talk about whether these extraordinary displays of power are meant to be understood as normative for the ongoing life of the church. Some say yes. Some say if, if we prayed as much as they prayed, and, and, and if we were together as much as they were together, then we would see miracles and signs and wonders just as they did. Others say no. They say that these early signs and wonders were intended by God to demonstrate his particular blessing upon the new covenant community and to demonstrate his approval of the apostolic gospel. Some say that these miracles and signs are like the extra power, the booster rockets, you might say, that were given to to help get the early church off the ground. But then the focus is more on the ordinary work of the Spirit and the everyday life and witness of the church. That is a conversation we'll have to have at some point, but I don't think we'll have it here. Let's just enjoy this text for what it says about the power and the blessing that was experienced by the early church and that was given by God to authenticate and approve this new covenant community. Whatever else they are, these miracles are given by God as a sign of the messianic restoration that has begun in the church of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. 
Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, there are a bunch of really interesting features to this story. For one thing, we notice that the apostles are still going up to the temple for prayer. It took a while for the Jewish apostles to work out all the implications of the things that Jesus had said. Jesus said that he was the new temple. John wrote that down near the end of his life in his gospel. But here they're not there yet. They're still functioning functioning within the structures of Jewish worship, even as they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the church in its absolute infancy here. They are talking together, praying together, preaching together, and fleshing out together the full implications of the gospel. Jesus said he would send his Holy Spirit to help them do this very thing. Second thing we see here is that the apostles initiated this miracle. The man never asked to be healed. He asked for money. He didn't express faith, not at first anyway. This was a sovereign act of God. In terms of sign value, I think that is very important for us to see. God always goes first. Faith responds, but if you dig deep enough, you always discover the initiative of a sovereign and merciful God. We should also notice here that the healing was immediate and complete. It didn't happen in stages, and it wasn't partial in any sense He immediately started dancing and jumping about. When God does something, he does it right. And then lastly, we should note that this healing was done in such a way so as to intentionally and obviously draw attention to Holy Scripture. This healing was a fulfillment of a well-known prophecy in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, 6, it says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The key word there, obviously, is then. When shall the lame man leap like a deer? That's what we want to know. And the answer comes earlier in the chapter. We are told that it will happen in a time of restoration and renewal, when God visits his people, a time, according to verse 2, when people shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So, This miracle is a sign that points to the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, a glory that is obviously still at work in his church. 
Pastor Paul, in the introduction to this episode, you said in the program audio that at some point you'll have to take a block of time and discuss the question of miracles and healing in the modern-day church. You don't do that in this episode just because of time constraints, I imagine, but part of the benefits of these Life 100.3 episodes is that we have a little bit more time, and so we can slow down, dig a little deeper into these kind of issues, and so I'd like to do that. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of healing stories in the book of Acts. Some of them are absolutely incredible. I think there are people healed by Peter's shadow at one point, and then there's a story about people taking the Apostle Paul's handkerchief to sick people, and they're getting healed by that. These are some pretty incredible stories, and I guess I'm just wondering what the purpose of these stories is and whether that purpose continues in the modern-day church. Yeah, absolutely. That's a legitimate question and an important question. I think the first thing we would want to do here is try to identify what the significance of these various miracles was to the apostles. And I think we find the answer to that in Acts 4. In Acts 4, the church has just had its first brush with formal persecution. The apostles were arrested and told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. As soon as they were released, they called a prayer meeting. And in Acts 4, 29 to 30, Luke tells us what they prayed for. They said, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they said, God, help us to preach. And when we do, confirm our gospel proclamation through the granting of signs and wonders. All right, so I don't think you have to have been to seminary to understand that for the apostles, the ability to perform signs and wonders was like having a reference letter from God saying that the bearer of this letter speaks for him. These miracles serve to communicate God's presence with and approval of the apostles. That certainly seems to be Luke's understanding, and that seems to be how the early church as a whole understood these things as well. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, it says, speaking of the apostolic gospel, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the original purpose of signs and wonders was to authenticate the apostolic preaching of the gospel. I don't think there can be any doubt about that. Apostolic Christianity was one of several competing movements within Judaism at this time. The Pharisees were over here saying, this is the way forward. The Sadducees were over there saying, this is the way forward. The Essenes were over there saying, this is the way forward. And the apostles of Christ were over here saying, no, 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 this is the way forward. So how could anyone know for sure who was really and truly speaking for God? Well, when Peter's shadow is healing people and the Apostle Paul's handkerchief is healing people, I think that makes a pretty compelling argument that God is at work over here, that the true message of salvation is being proclaimed over here, that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. So the primary purpose of the signs and wonders that we're seeing in the book of Acts was to affirm and validate the gospel being preached by the apostles. That's why God did these signs and wonders the way he did. He didn't just have everyone in Jerusalem healed spontaneously. He had these mercies flow through the hands of the apostles as a way of positioning them as the authorized representatives of Jesus. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. I would agree that this was the original purpose for signs and wonders, 
But that still leaves the question of whether there is some continuing purpose for signs and wonders in the church today. Should we expect, for instance, my shadow to be healing people, or should we be grabbing up your used Kleenexes, uck, and rubbing them on sick people down at the local hospital? I mean, should that be part of our evangelism and disciple-making strategy today? Well, I definitely don't think doing that exactly uh, would be a good idea, but I get the gist of the question. Listen, I do think there is a shift as we move from the first generation of the church to the second and subsequent generations. The first generation is literally foundational. Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's Ephesians 2, 20 to 21. So the apostles needed spectacular authority to lay the ground floor of this new movement. It was a seismic shift. And so they needed extraordinary manifest validation and the signs and wonders served that end. But then as we transition into the second generation, the emphasis clearly shifts from charismatic authority to faithful stewardship. Listen to what Paul says to two very prominent second generation leaders. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then this to Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's Titus 2.1. Isn't that interesting? He, he doesn't say to these next generation uh, leaders, to Timothy and Titus, he doesn't say, further extend the footprint of Christian doctrine. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He tells them to build up, not out. And he tells them to pass these instructions on to the third generation of leaders. He tells Titus to appoint elders in the churches of Crete, and he tells him what to look for in a candidate. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's Titus 1.9. So according to the Apostle Paul, the job of second and third generation leaders was to faithfully steward and defend the apostolic gospel, not to further develop it, not to expand upon it, but to steward and defend it. That's a different task. And it does not appear to have required the same level of authority, and it is therefore not accompanied by the same manner of attestation, or at least no mention of such things appears in the text. Second and third generation leaders, even in the New Testament era, are being told, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. Or practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. That's 1 Timothy 4.15. Paul never says to Timothy or Titus, hey, listen, prove your authority by doing a miracle. He says, study the Bible. Grow in character, show your faithfulness and trustworthiness. So there's a shift. I don't know how any honest Bible reader could deny that. Mm, Well said. So are you saying, though, now that there is no place in the church today for signs and wonders? No, I wouldn't say that. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he likes. I'm just saying that the specific purpose for those things mentioned in the Bible has been served. The signs and wonders in Acts served to validate and authorize the preaching and ministry of the apostles. It marked them as the special envoys and representatives of Jesus. 
that purpose has been served. But that isn't to say that God couldn't bring that tool out again at some point in the future for some other reason. Okay, so what about someone who is sick today? What should they do? I mean, if we're not going to put them under my shadow or rub them with your handkerchief, what are we doing? Well, thankfully, there's a passage for that. In James 5, 14 to 16, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Close quote. Now, in that passage, it sounds like there is an expectation that every person who prays in faith will be healed. Yeah, it does sound like that. And that expectation is there. But notice also what isn't there. There is absolutely no mention there about anything connected to timing. It just says that the person who reaches out to God for healing through Christ in faith will be healed. Such a person will be raised up, but it doesn't say when. It could be immediately, it could be later, it could be at the final resurrection. All we can say for sure is that there is healing in the atonement of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, then you will be healed. Maybe today, Maybe tomorrow, maybe a month from now, maybe on the day of Christ's victorious return. On that day, according to the scriptures, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Thanks be to God. Yeah, amen to that. And thanks for taking the time to walk us through that. Let's jump back into the story now at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health, in the presence of you all. Again, notice that Peter himself sees this miracle as pointing to the glory of God in Christ. This isn't about Peter. It's not about the faith of the man. This is about the glory of God in Christ and the offer of renewal and restoration through Christ. That's why Peter immediately begins to preach the gospel. He tells everyone to repent. You killed the author of life, he says, so you need to deal with God about that. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
let's just quickly notice here that Peter isn't saying that everything is renewed right now because of Christ. No, he says that Jesus is in heaven now until the time for restoring all things comes about. So we are in an in-between time, a time when restoration is assured because of Christ, and a time when signs and first fruits of that restoration may be given to point us towards Christ, but not yet a time when everything is again as it was meant to be. This world is still broken. Our bodies are still frail and fallen. We still get sick. And we can't just shout the name of Jesus at our cancer or our MS or our diabetes. Peter doesn't say that everything is restored. He says it will be. And that we can be reconciled to God now through the person of Jesus Christ. It's very important to hear what Peter is and isn't saying in this sermon. Verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Here Peter says that Jesus is the prophet like Moses, meaning his words are the words of God. His Words are the law of God. His words function like a sword. If you reject his word, then you put yourself outside the covenant community. That's what he says in verse 23. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Jesus is the sword that puts you inside or outside the covenant community. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. And Jesus is the ultimate offspring of Abraham. God said to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis twenty-two eighteen. The Hebrew word translated there as offspring is the Hebrew word zerah, sometimes translated as seed. Now, just like in English, it is a word that can be heard as a plural or a singular. And that fact has massive theological significance. One of the most important questions you have to answer is this. Who is or who are the offspring of Abraham? If you answer Israel, the Jews are the offspring of Abraham, then you have a problem because the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ, Galatians 3.16. So according to the apostles, the offspring of Abraham ultimately is Jesus Christ. All the blessings have been earned and claimed by him. That's why Peter says at the end of his sermon, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. If you want to be blessed, if you want to share in the times of refreshing and the full future restoration of the kingdom of God, then you need to be in right relationship with the offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the principle and person of blessing, renewal, and life. 
He is the prophet like Moses and the seed of Abraham. Thanks be to God. And thank you, friends, for joining us for another episode of Into the Word. If you are looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca, or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.